Welcome to this week's Promo Chat Deep Dive. This week we are very excited to have our favorite guest, Eric Campbell, back on. Welcome, Eric. Uh, thank you for having me back on. It's always a pleasure. You always do a great job, and I always try to make sure that there's new voices coming up. And then this week we're like, you know what, Eric? Eric's got a point. So, and it's been long enough. We can have him back on. <laughs> yeah, you have to keep me at bay a little bit because I'll just be on all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I told you it's a standing invitation for co-host, host, whatever. But yeah, you can just come back on whenever you want. <laughs> That's a dangerous thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> You're just doing it for the Maple Ridge treats, aren't you? Oh, I didn't even think about the Maple Ridge. That got excited, right? <laughs> oh, good cover. Oh, sure. Yeah, didn't even think of them. <laughs> Well, I got to hide them from everybody else in here, you know. <laughs> you can do what Rich Patterson did and have it labeled super confidential. So it arrives and then he's just for him. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we'll work out perfectly. Well, this week I'm really excited for our topic because we took the week and we kind of covered like education and what you do after graduation because we have our prom theme and now it's like graduation theme. And so our question this week was, the teachers we have can shape our lives in a hundred different meaningful ways, but it goes both ways and the same can be said for students. What's something you've learned from an industry newbie? What new perspective has a mentee opened your eyes to? And your response was, honestly, the thing newbies do best is work without the staid norms of the industry. They question things more readily and try new avenues. They're not nearly as susceptible to the, because that's how it's done argument that gets us to disrupted. And then you had the wonderful gift of free your mind. <laughs> <laughs> and I love this because it's, it's this idea of like, we can get very stuck in this, like, well, it's how it's always been done. It's how we're always going to do it without really thinking about like, well, why do we do it? And can you, do you have an example of like when a newbie's come in and been like, ha have done that, the why, why do we do that? <laughs> Oh yeah, well, I mean, there's tons of things. Honestly, it's not so much specific examples necessarily as that they, they come up and ask about the why in everything. Um, and it exposes things that we don't always think about. They ask about why a standard size is something on a hat. For embroidery specifically, that's one of those things that comes up all the time. People are like, why is my hat not look right while I'm running it? Something looks bad, the logo looks bad, the size. And they don't get that hats have this limited this limited field you can work on and that the machines kind of pull the hats out of register if you go too high. There's this structure inside of structured hats that makes them flop back and forth as the needle foot comes down, the presser foot comes down, the needle goes through. There's all these technical things that happen that we sometimes take for granted, but we don't always explain them. And that explanation is also good for our customers and for distributors to talk about that kind of technical side with customers as well. And we forget sometimes to explain that stuff. Also, they come in with new materials. I know, especially working in the kind of prosumer space where we have people who come from the hobbyist space, they are so much more willing to put a weird material on their machine. I mean, I know it sounds funny to say it that way, but they will take a material and figure out kind of the nature of the thing and use it for different methods. Uh, a really kind of strange little example, a recent one, um, we use 3D foam. It's a you know, we have a foam that we use to raise stitches up. If you guys know, you have a hat that has a big, thick logo on it, especially a lot of sports stuff. Big, thick lettering is very common. Um, stands up. There's a piece of foam that's under the stitching. Um, recently, I had somebody who was working on straw hats, something you do not see a lot for us, but straw summer hats, big thing in the home market. And they were like, you know what? I bet you if I put a piece of foam underneath it, it would make it stand up off of the bill. And I could use three really thin foam because I don't want a big 3D effect. I just want to get the texture to look better off of the top of the straw. And she did that, and suddenly she had this really great-looking piece. And I'm like, 
I would never have thought of that because she's using materials that I would never expect. I'm like, straw hats on a machine. Well, it's going to look bad. This is the five things. That, why you yeah. wouldn't do that? Here's the texture. And even though I'm, and I'm more willing than most people I know to put weird stuff on the machine because I'm also kind of a, an amateur in the way that I love what I do. I just start experimenting if you leave me alone. Um, hence, I'm in the lab right now. I'm still thinking about what I could do this afternoon now that I've locked the doors and nobody <laughs> knows where I am. <laughs> so you pull but, out your bag of stuff and you're like, let's yeah. put this on the machine. I could reach behind me right now. <laughs> and there is a bag of things I want to work on. Literally, there is a bag of stuff. And that's, oh my goodness. I mean, honestly, I get excited. Also, that's the thing too, for us, when the newbies come around, even if they aren't teaching you something, what they do is fire you up. They ask you a question. You have to stop and go, well, you know, I haven't tried that. Can I layer three layers of foam together and do different heights? Well, I haven't really done a lot of that. Like, and I've done some of these things, but you're like, well, I don't know why you couldn't. Yeah. The presser foot would take that kind of height. Well, yeah, I guess you could. I just haven't done it. How would that be done? What would it look like? And because I know more about the materials and about the, the digitizing side and the machines, maybe their idea that was just a, you know, shot in the dark they're like i really want to do a multi-level design well for me i'm like well i've got all this technical knowledge about how it works but i haven't tried it now i can start developing that out with the skills i already have and it's a faster iteration for me to get from i already know how to do 3d foam to a couple layers of 3d foam than someone else who's like i have no idea i've seen a hat i just bought a machine and i want to do something different than the thing i already know and even then i don't know how to use this material at all i just want to ask the guy who's teaching hey i had a concept what is it like and by the time I'm done, I'm like trying to develop a new, <laughs> a new method for this thing that I'm going to turn around and probably teach everybody if I figure it out. So those, those fresh eyes are a big deal. That and other things I've seen, um, especially in the garment decoration space, people were like, oh, well, we haven't, we had a, uh, we still have a, something in the phone book. Uh, what's Instagram? What's that? You show people your lunch? And I'm like, no, because people who are new, who they came from already using Instagram, or they look at it as, okay, it's a super visual medium. Why wouldn't I show all the work that I do? They get excited. They show their work. Somebody says, can you do that? And now we have a business transaction just like you would in any other form of social interaction. But I still know people who are like, what is, what, like, who's interested in seeing pictures of my barbecue? And I'm like, number one, they actually are. Whatever it means to you, yes, people want to see your lunch and your barbecue. It just is true. I, I can't tell you how many times I like somebody's I'm in the park this week. And I'm like, why do I like their park pictures? I just do. It's like, oh, that's pleasant. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but if, if then they said, okay, and here's a product you might like that I'm working on. I think it's cool. I'm, I may look into that. I might start researching and you know dive into that stuff. And that's another thing. It's both in the technical space and in the space of how do we talk about our work? How do we show it to people? New people come from all these different angles and they may not think of, we have to do it a certain way. Or, and they may think of new marketing techniques um, in general or new sales techniques. I, I remember seeing the first um, Instagram bundles is almost what I call it because it's so popular there where it's like, here's a picture, here's a limited thing. And I actually taught it in a pricing class after I saw it. You can only have this garment. You can have this exact type of decoration and 350 of them cost this and exactly this. And that's the deal. And it's this price, one price. And I was like, it's a weird way to do it. But all those limitations made it possible for them to throw out a base price that doesn't have to be altered. And it means no quoting and no, I mean, it's not the way I'm used to doing work. I'm like, I take custom work and I look at your art. I quote it. I go back to you with the quote. We discuss how it's going to get done. And then a price gets formulated and then we work. This person's like, no, I'm going to tell you, you get, it's like the old Ford adage, you can have any paint color of car as long as it's black. They do that. It's like, it's this shirt, it's this color, it's this many colors of ink or this a much stitching and I'm willing to do it for this price. And it can fit in the space of one square graphic 
all the information you need. And it turns out for some people, it's a really viable way to sell. So I, that was something that without newbies, I don't think I would have thought to do. Yeah. And they always, like, I, I, what I love about newbies is that like when they, like, as you said, it's like they come in and they, they ask the why and then they make you explain the why. And I think there's so much value in that, in being forced to think through your own process or defend your own position. And, and then there's creativity, like Promo Kitchen right now on the podcast has a series of like newbies and mm-hmm. I don't want to say oldies because it makes people feel bad, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's like the newbies, oh, newbies versus vets. That's the line. There you go. Industry veterans. I've heard that one a few times. <laughs> I was like, it's not oldies, but it's kind of oldies. <laughs> um, but it's that idea of like a lot of people are coming in from different industries and, and they're bringing that experience and that voice and that and that why as well, because that why is, can be totally different. Like the bundles, like bundles are not an odd thing in any other industry oh, no. you're new in this industry or with embroidery. So how do you think of it that way? Like how do you, and in that way, they've kind of standardized customization to make it easier for how different generations and in different industries buy. Oh, and I mean, some people did do that. I mean, but doing them on a flyer, it kind of, there's a period where that went by the wayside for some people where it really was about how much custom stuff you can do. And you find out that you forget there's other kinds of clients out there. Or, or the, I had a lot of people who asked me, I taught classes on patches this year. It was something people have been asking me over and over to do is teach how to make small run patches. And they're like, how could you possibly make money on smaller run patches? I'm like, well, number one, I did. Number two, here are the markets I did. And then I showed people that there was this whole community of pin and patch collectors. And it's a it's this kind of sleeper community people don't know about, but there's massive conventions of pin and patch collectors. And it's not even about one type of pins and patches. It's just pins and patches. If you yeah. go look that stuff up right now, I'm the, the, I saw the pictures from this convention in New York. It was massive, massive. And a lot of it is indie producers who are doing weird niche stuff and they're charging fairly immense amounts of these patches. Everybody's like, okay, well, what can you get for a patch? $5? And I'm like, try five times that. Try 10 times that, depending on the size and how, honestly, how niche the thing is. If you're willing to create something for people who can't find it anywhere else, who are excited to have that particular content, or you do a weird quality thing, how many of them I saw were, we've added some strange applique. It's got glow-in-the-dark thread in it. It has a feature or a function that's not common to the patches. Um, It's amazing. And a lot of it's just like, it's an in-joke. It's something from some sort of long-tail obscure podcast or YouTube channel. Uh, I mean, the funny thing is you see newbies talking about that, but then who else do you see? Uh, Amazon with their merch program who bought a fleet of digital printers. Um, The larger groups are getting it too. Like industry gets it sometimes faster than those of us in the middle get it you know it's like sometimes these large scale producers get it and then the very small scale gets it and we're in the middle saying like well my minimum order is blah and you're like okay okay i mean we get where the minimum order comes from but as much as yes that's a model that works and if you tool everything to that model you need to stick to that model sometimes to make it work with the way you literally have sometimes tooled your equipment in your shop and your workflow but there really are other models that are also profitable that you can if you wanted to you can address and seeing someone dip their toes in that space and explain that space to you you're like now that i see where you're aiming i I know the technical side of what you need to do and it makes sense to me how to get you there and it's amazing that they bring in that new model so it's it's a it's like i remember when all of the um, subscription boxes started i know that that has somewhat kind of died down a bit but they're still not at all 
Oh. They're even more coming out. I swear I get well, a the new buzz about it. Yeah. It's accepted that it's a thing. I remember before where they're like, all these people are willing to pay monthly for a box of stuff and everybody's freaking out. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> now it's just a given. It's just a given. Can I find a subscription box about knitting? Yes. Can I find one? There is a subscription box for just about everything, uh, including some of the nerdier things I'm into in the world. <laughs> so I know that they exist because I've seen them and had somebody try and offer me one. Um, oh yeah. There's, it's incredibly niche. It's really amazing. I mean, it's a business model yeah. of like getting a bunch of free stuff and then having people pay for it. It's like pretty much. Yeah. yeah. But it's huge. And, you know, I love it because, like, I think I can't remember the name of the guy who did it, but he did a subscription box for promo products. So he would, he worked with a few different vendors and they would, he would send out the logos and they'd send it in and he'd send out these different things and people would get orders from that. So it's like he kind of took that model of subscription boxes and applied it to the promo field of being like, well, here's a regular gift. What do you like? Let's figure it out from there. That's so cool because then it's like it opens your eyes to a new thing. And I mean, and, and that's like I said, it doesn't matter what sphere of what we do this is in. It's just the idea that somebody doesn't come to it saying this is impossible. They come to it saying this is this possible. And if you stop and have to explain it, like you said, if you have to defend your point of the standards we have, sometimes you're like, you know, well, yeah, that is technically possible. And you also find out, and it's the same thing I said with the patches, it depends on your market. Um, when I was doing stuff, and I still sometimes do things for TV and movies, someone will hand you $100 for one patch because when it's important to them for a particular usage and it has to be done quickly, $100 to $300 means nothing to their shooting budget. It just doesn't. Whereas to you, you're like, I just made one patch and it was a hundred bucks and I feel like I robbed them. You know, do I close all the doors and put the shutters down so they don't come back and, you know, burn me out pitchforks and yeah. <laughs> torches <laughs> feels weird if you're used to charging the regular custom rates we are, but there's always this market where you're like, okay, if you can convince somebody of the value of this thing, you can do crazy stuff. You can like, I, I remember um, we talked briefly about this. We, everybody should know there's a little pre-show where we talk about other stuff before we get to this. <laughs> And we were, we're we talking about a, a project before we even start recording. <laughs> cover a lot. We get warmed up. I'll put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I had a job which I was working on. Um, I did the spec models for these really high end shower curtains for a big hotel in New Mexico. And um, the first one I did, I did every hooping myself on a machine that wasn't a spanned machine. It didn't have a border sash frame for people who know what that is. I had to move the hoop over and over in little things and line it all up. And I had a nine foot span that I did, you know, 15 inches at a time. And it was incredibly difficult, cost a great deal of money. We told them exactly what it would cost. The thing was, nobody else was willing to take it on. They didn't know. And even though this is a customer, this is still somebody who was new to custom embroidery. They were used to ordering things off the shelf. And instead, they wanted something custom and had never done it before. And no other shop in the region would even try to make the model for them. By the time we were done, I had made the initial model, charged just an immense amount. You've never seen a shower curtain cost $600 before, but that one did. And then, you know, after that, I went and said, I know how you do these in production. Let me find someone else who can produce them at scale. I worked on the technical side of how does my design need to scale up so that it's at the right repeats for a sash machine. And then I subbed that out. So by the time we were done, I knew more about that side of the work about doing home decor. The people who were on the end of it, the customer knew what it took to get it done. We had charged quite a bit of money and then made a lot on the sub, honestly, on subcontracting because we were the only people who would touch it. And so the other half of having a newbie, whether that's a client who has no idea what you do or someone who's new that you're teaching uh, in the field, 
the other half of it is now you gain more information and you might find this new market that works for you and know how to address that a second time. If you then take that, and we, you know, we talked about Instagram, then you get into the storytelling mode and say, here's this piece. Now that I know how to make this thing profitable, let's show you these pieces. Let's get on an Instagram, let's get on a Facebook, wherever we show our work, show these pieces, explain them. And then someone else who's been desperately looking for this sees your work and takes you up on it. And you already have a model in place to make it work a second time. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of downside to that. I know we can go on wild goose chases and sometimes these things don't work, but that's, that's how we get to these new markets. These new markets don't just come by themselves. You have to get experimental. And, and that's the thing is like, I think, I think that's what we should start thinking about right now because like the why pin and patch is getting really popular is like sure. you can do smaller production runs and, but you have to think about the recipients, like the recipients sure. will get these and customize their jackets. Like Nordstrom had a whole like pop-up yeah. with, I think it was Levi's that did it, um, where you would come in and you get a jacket customized with different patches and you can go and further customize it with that. And, you know, people will get stickers and put stickers on their water bottles and yeah. pins like in one of um, our SIG line, we worked with different artists we have a custom artist line and one of our artists, Queenie from Queenie's Cards, awesome. she does a ton of pins and like she, you should go look at her Instagram because it's, she does super cute kids bottle, like kids designs. That's super cool. Actually just super cute designs. And she, um, she does these pin boards where she, all the pins she's collected and mm -hmm. she'll organize it via color, via theme and they're amazing. But like these things, like if you'd gone to this, to anyone in this industry five or 10 years ago and go, you know what's going to have a big comeback? pins and patches you would have been laughed out of the room because people are like no that's had its time it's out but what it's what makes it really amazing is the true customization like it's something yeah it's inside jokes yeah it's like pop culture yeah it's just a cool design like i've bought patches that i just think are cool designs but sure. there are people's ways of taking it and making it making their own product their own items further customize like further customizational like oh, yeah. to their cells so if we were smart which I think we both are, but we're not doing this right now. <laughs> well, we're trying to make a video. Right? <laughs> Everybody yeah. listen to this part. Yeah. <laughs> like, Don't steal my ideas. <laughs> but but totally do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm already, I'm already working on it. Whatever. <laughs> We'd be looking at the next product that can be yeah. taken and customized even further. Like how do you find something like the pin and patch, like stickers, like who knew stickers would have such a comeback, but stickers are having a massive comeback. Oh, hugely. In fact, funny yeah. enough with apparel decorating, I just had somebody recently ask uh, in a group that I was in, they're like, okay, well, what other things can I do to kind of add perceived value um, to the garments that I send out? And I was like, oh, sticker hang tags. It just hit me immediately. I was like, that's what I would do. If I was doing something custom like that and I want to look like I'm a big retail organization sticker hang tags so it's a hang tag that has a die cut sticker on the hang tag that you, you tagged the garment and then here's your uh, one more chance for you to put your branding somewhere where the customer takes it peels it off and sticks it to their laptop sticks it somewhere else and suddenly they're a brand ambassador and they get your garment and you look like you gave them a free gift which we all know it doesn't cost an immense amount to do but it increases the perceived value of this decorated apparel immensely to do. And now that everybody's figuring out digital production in every sphere, um, the minimums on things like sticker hang tags aren't what they used to be. I, I still have this in my head sometimes. I'm, I get to this point where I remember promo products where they're like, if you don't have a thousand, we don't talk to you. 
that's not how it is anymore. It's not a thousand piece or even 500 piece minimum for a lot of stuff anymore. Um, it makes sense. Even as I would say, even in say in the apparel decoration space I'm familiar with, even if you weren't doing this for a customer, I can make a really good case for saying, yes, 10 cents a unit for my own logo on a sticker hang tag. If someone doesn't pay for their own tagging, if I tag it and I ask them if that's okay, that is worthwhile to me just yeah. to say, okay, you know what? Um, let me do, if you don't mind, yeah, I will individually polybag the stuff you're going to give to your team. Do you mind if I put a tag in it? And if you've got a bagging machine already, and it's not a big cost. You say, okay, figure out the costs on that and say, all right, how much is it worth for everybody in some intramural sports team or adult kickball, any of the stuff that's going on right now? If every person who all work for companies, a great deal of them do, who all ha may have purchasing power at these companies, opens up a nice poly bag that has their garment in it for their new league, and the first thing they see is a hang tag with a cool design sticker from your company in it. That's an immense amount of power advertising wise for pretty cheap, you know, addition. And it makes the piece look really well put together. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, and funny enough, that's another thing that's very new. I wouldn't have necessarily thought of that, but I was like, okay, when people come in with the retail expectations and I have that a lot for my students, they come in and say, they see something in retail and figure they can just do it. Yeah. They assume that they're one embroidery machine. Now, funny, it's like, you know, sometimes like, no, you're going to have a lot of attachments by the time you have sequins. And <laughs> it's like, yeah, like five processes went into that. That's <laughs> sublimation and flip sequins. And like, there's five things actually that you're going to need before doing that. Maybe subcontract all of that. Yeah, you're going to want to learn a lot. <laughs> but they come in and they have these ideas that are, they, they go, they shoot for the moon. It's like we always say, you know, you know, shoot for the stars and land on the moon. They do that a lot where they really, they aim really high, but where they land is above where they would be at that initial state in their career. And so I think that that's, a, it's another newbie thing that's really useful is the not putting a cap on everything. Number one, number two, not standardizing. It's really easy for us in production when we get into efficiency mode to go, okay, I use 40 weight polyester thread. I don't do a left chest that's a, over three and a half inches in any direction. And I don't do this many, anything more than this many stitches because it slows me down or whatever it is. You may have some other reason you do that. And it, whatever material you work in, there are these things we do that just reduce pain on normal business to business orders. When someone comes in with something out of the ordinary, instead of saying no, say, okay, well, I'm going to charge what this really is worth to me to get it done and let's see what happens. And it's surprising how many times you're like, once you've justified the fees, you can, you might find an entirely new niche that you didn't think to exploit. And it's entirely because somebody comes in and just asks you very, you know, naively or a student, if you're somebody teaching, asks you, can this be done? And you're like, you know, oh, yeah, it can expect yeah. somebody to ask me to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah it's like with us it's like we always if someone's like can we embed it we're like maybe give us some to try and we'll see what we can make out of an award for it so yeah and right. yeah like the defend your why on why you do it and sometimes you just don't do it because it's really annoying to do but then again oh, sure. defend your why on that like is it annoying well, I, person was annoying? <laughs> oh and honestly a good portion of it sometimes is just like it's there isn't money in it and the person doesn't have the yeah. budget. And then we all get educated. The other thing you sometimes do is the newbies do get put back down. And it's not bad, but you just say, okay, well, no, we can't do all of this weird work you want to do. Like, no, we're not, you know, cutting everything out of hair on cowhide and making appliques. And it's like, there's, there's things that you were doing as someone who was working maybe in a craft market or for Etsy that on a piece by piece basis at scale doesn't make sense for our equipment or whatever else. We have that one, that kind of stuff happen pretty frequently. I'm like, it's a really cool idea, but it just, there's nothing we can do that makes it scale any better than what you're already doing. But then you stop and say, 
but here's a product that you could add to that mix or that you might change or here's like, I see what you're trying to do. What about this? What is the thing that I do know how to do that gets closer to your goal? Like, okay, yeah. what you wanted was something rustic. What I do know about is I have a wool blend thread that looks really rustic and rough and it doesn't look like the stuff that I usually use. It's not something I use, but if I change a couple needles on my machine and I change some tensions up on those needles, I can make a really rustic craft looking logo without changing anything else in my process. And yes, I'm not doing, you know, one-off cowhide appliques or whatever weird thing that they brought in, but I'm like, I can get you a rustic look and I can do it at scale. What about this? And that conversation between the two of you can bring up these new products that didn't exist before. Yeah. So and, it's, it's, and it's so true. Like you can't discount experience in this. Like newbies you know. are great and they're wonderful, but it's also like we had a quick, our, our pre, pre <laughs> combo was uh, like we talked, I like there's so much about embroidery. Like I don't sure. work in embroidery and I know nothing. And you were explaining like stitch tension, stitch material, fabric sure. material, like everything else, like embroidery, like how you do this and this and this. And, mm -hmm. and I have no idea. And I think, I think as people, as newbies, mm -hmm. the quest should constantly be, how do I figure this out? Like go to sure. factory tours. Like they cannot be discounted as to the true value of them, of mm -hmm. just learning like why are screen charges like why to screen charge it? Why do you charge for digitization? Why, sure. do you, like, why does it matter about this, this, and this? And, and I think some people can be very cocky about what they don't know, but they also can be very caught up in the day-to-day -day work and not think about it beyond that moment. They're like, well, I'm really busy. I can't go learn this right now. It's like, well, this learning experience is going to like change so much for you in the future. So yeah. it's going to save you time then. So learn now and be busy later. <laughs> well, especially when it comes to the fact that you're going to have this palette of tools, this arsenal, where you can say, when someone comes to you the question and you immediately can get back to them and redirect, it means not contacting the factory and then getting back to them. There's a, a there's value in that. Also, you become the person with answers. And like we always say, we don't want to sell items. We don't want to sell objects. We want to sell solutions. We want to sell ourselves as the people with answers. Um, and that's a big deal. I and mean, you can't, you can't discount that either. Um, though there's nothing wrong. I've said this a million times. Like if you really have the customers like, Hey buddy, like, I don't want to know how to get on that machine embroider. I want shirts to show up Wednesday. And you're like, that's fine. But also if that person then is willing to say, all right, I have somebody, I have a person who I can call for this. And that's, and they're willing to pay because you're the person with the answers. That is a perfectly viable way. If you're a distributor and you just say, okay, I know who does this and I can get them on the horn and make this thing happen. That's also fully viable as an option. But I will say for, at least for me, because I also had to learn a lot of other decorations because I like, I'll be honest, I've never pulled a squeegee, which freaks people out. I've never screen printed. I've done art for screen printing. I've done everything up to films and burning screens. I have never actually been on a manual press pulling a squeegee. I didn't do that. So, but learning about it made a big difference because I really, I was, I was the newbie too thinking, oh, it's, it's print. How hard is print compared to what I do? <laughs> we all think what we do is hard. What everybody else does is must be easy. And when I realized how technical it was, I'm like, okay, I, I get it. Like, I, I understand why screen print is what it is. And I understand why you have to do these limitations on the art. And I found it super enriching and it made me able to answer people when we're talking about the differences between the two or why lead times are what they are. Things that customers do need to know. Um, it's, it's a lot easier. We can just absolutely pop right back and say, this is why, you know, this is why it is the way it is. Also really great. Like we said, for redirecting, someone has a project that's not going to work for what they want it to work with, you know, materially or time-wise, you can say, here's what won't and here's what will. 
Um, and once you get some of those things together, you're like, okay, well, yeah, we can't screen print in that period of time. We can DTG. We can't do this with, you know, I, I know you have this material, you like to do this, but we can sublimate instead. We can, if you know a little bit about decoration processes, it makes it easier. And I think with um, promo stuff, it's more, with me, it was also, okay, I know I can't get this type of item in this time period, but I know what it items I can get quickly. Yeah. Or which styles are kept and which things can I, you know, what can I do in given the other parameters I've now been given. And a lot of that just comes from having some experience around the board. Yeah. And so, you're never going to discount experience, but also don't discount change either. Oh no, that's, that's the best thing. I think, and honestly, I don't mind being on the other end of it these days where I know there was a time in the career where I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I know about that. And I'm also calling my guy who I have, who knows that stuff. I'm like, okay, hey, I just got this great question about yeah. this <laughs> material. Can you even press on this? What is this? I don't even know if I can do that. I'm like, okay, I'm sitting here and I've got a, a vinyl cutter, 15 minutes and a weird cooler and I'm pretty sure this isn't going to stick. What do I do? I don't want to melt this thing in the press. Like I, we've all done that and that's fine. And I think even, like I said, I'm always going to bring it back to, you know, apparel decoration, accessory, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I think it, it's, it's any place you're in. There's a point at which we have to get to this, this security in ourselves to go. I really know my space really well. If somebody comes and brings me a question, a totally viable answer is to go, you know what? I don't know anything about that or I don't know enough to tell you an answer right now. I think I know people who can help me on that and I will get back to you as soon as I can. Or there are some times where you stop and say, yeah, it isn't my core. It's not something I can do, but it's good to have other people you know and say, I can direct you to the right person because you wouldn't, you'd be surprised how many times I have sent a customer out of my ecosystem and said, I can't do this for you, but I know who can. Um, I appreciate it. Let them know I sent you. So it, it, whatever cache I have, you can take with you. And get good karma points. I'm going to want all yeah. of them. <laughs> whatever, whatever you want to do, or if it helps you get through, if they don't know who you are when you show up, fine. Um, I, here's somebody who does know what they're so doing. Eric, you're like, use my name. Use my yeah, name. Use my name. <laughs> Eric. No, not like that. More like um, when they when you tell them your order and they think you're crazy. Tell them I thought it was a good idea to talk to them, but I get the blame more like, but yeah, here's this person who I think can do it. And I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody come back for another project and go, um, yeah, we use these guys for this project, but then um, I thought we would come back to you first and see what you thought about this new project. And then a lot, a lot of times it is my wheelhouse or I've used that time to say, okay, well, I can't do this project. Here's somebody who can, these are the kind of things I do here. So if you want to use me later for these kind of things, I'd appreciate you coming back. Love to have you as a customer, but here's the person who you need to talk to for this thing. And invariably they believe it or not, they take into heart. They're like, okay, a person was not so you know, enthused about money that they were going to gouge me or whatever. And they did direct me to the right place. And now I do kind of know what this person does and they seem, you know, knowledgeable, when that job comes up, they come back. Um, and that's, I think that's a thoroughly viable thing. Plus the other thing I like about teaching and newbies who are in my industry is that sometimes they come to me with these new concepts and I help them work it out technically, but it's not something I would do. And then later when I need that work, I can go back to the person I taught and go, yeah, you know how you do like you're doing custom patches on shoes. I don't even quite get this. Like this person, I got a sneaker head online too. And they are asking me stuff about specific shoes. And I have no idea what that yeah. means. Like, I don't know which version of Yeezys that they are talking about, but you probably do. And I'm just going to send them wholesale to you right now. Yeah. <laughs> you can, you can <laughs> custom lace patches that fit their eyelet pattern. I have no idea what this is. And sometimes it's great to be able to be like, okay, 
this person works in auto upholstery and it's not my jam, even though it's still embroidery and maybe they had a question about threads or tensions or stitches or digitizing that I helped them with. I can go back and like, this guy needs upholstery work done and he's gotten to a place where I, it's no longer embroidery and I don't know what I'm doing. I want to send that to that newbie who's passionate about that side of it and say, go help them with the custom upholstery. You need help with the file. You know who to get to for the embroidery part of this gig. But once it's past that, it's your jam. You know this this place, or you know the, how the trade shows that they're going to work, or whatever that is. I mean, you end up building your network with these newbies too. Yeah, and it, and it's true. It's like because it's that idea of like you may not know it, but that doesn't mean you don't know it yet. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and then invariably, like I said, there's just these models that are out there, and there's so many ways, especially in this very interconnected world we're in, so many ways to make money on these small audiences. And you may not even know these audiences exist until somebody from the audience decides to become a producer or a distributor. And then there's all these interesting things. So here's to bring it back to that niche thing again. Here's another thing in the pins and patches department. Um, people may not know how popular Dungeons and Dragons has gotten again lately. And if you're somebody who's producing stuff, you now know this because you've already made something. If you don't know what a D20 looks like or polyhedral dice, you will shortly because they're getting really popular again. And I actually, what's weird is I like sometimes to watch weird videos or stuff. I listen to stuff while I work and digitize. One of the things I listen to is a bunch of uh, voice actors who have recently gotten popular playing a game of Dungeons and Dragons because it is like, it's like a radio play. It's awesome. So I listen to that sometimes when I digitize and then suddenly they got incredibly popular to the Kickstarter where they made like $10 million to fund a project of theirs. And what did I see within, within moments of that? I had already known some individual people who I helped to teach. I taught somebody one time who made dice bags for Dungeons and Dragons five years ago. Now, every patch pin group has Dungeons and Dragons material in it. Every person who's asking me about digitizing, who's new, a bunch of them come in and say, I want to make something for, um, like I said, like dice bags or something that goes on my table, or I'm trying to like do a custom cover, felt cover with designs on it where people put all their stuff out. And I'm like, if you had been in on it earlier, it's immense the kind of work that came out of this really niche thing. We, we don't always know what's going to take off, but if we listen to these newbies come in, I mean, how many people thought, yeah, tabletop gaming, totally coming back, uh, going to be a resurgence, millions of dollars in it. Yeah. Nobody. But if we listen to the newbies coming in who are coming from these markets, we don't know. We don't know what's coming out of that. And there's immense opportunities right now. If you're somebody doing a uh, drinkware, I don't know why you aren't thinking which one of these things is now like a dice shaker or something. Like I'm stuck. I'd be starting to retool my line right now going. and pivot. It's like, what can I do? If I'm somebody who makes like, is, is my messenger bag properly sized for RPG books right now? Like, can I, what, what, what do I have in my market? Now that I saw these guys do a $10 million Kickstarter, I'm like, okay, wow. There's a big market out there that probably isn't being fully exploited on a major scale yet what can i do to make that work well so I, and yeah like niche like it, we're in the world of niche and especially with the innovations that happen with technology is like oh, yeah. you know scale doesn't matter in the same way and yeah. the niche does like you know your interest and your things and it goes back to like the idea of customization is like how do you show who you are with different items and you know yeah. that's D and I have no idea, and I can hear Josh shouting at me all his thoughts and opinions on this, and being like, "I should have been the one to do this." <laughs> yeah, right. It's, yeah. It's one so of those I don't know it, but I know there's a huge community out there that loves it, and yeah, oh, yeah. million dollars is not a small amount. <laughs> 
no no i mean this is like the most popular the most popular groups but at the same time it's like there these markets are out there um and beyond that there are people looking to service them that we can teach things to help them be good citizens the other thing i i get a lot is i i, I work with a lot of people who come from the embroidery hobby and want to go into a semi-commercial space where they're selling the problem I have is everybody's like, I, I literally had somebody jump on a um, one of the podcasts I was on. And they said, oh, yeah, the crafter market. And they were like, they're upset about the crafters. They were really upset about how they charge and things like that. And I'm like, do you want to know how we get these people to be good citizens in our market is by teaching them. If we teach them and we help them to understand pricing and overhead and we under the things that are the old state business things that we need to know. Um, if we teach them more about that we and help them with the technical side, then they can produce a product that's decent. When they go to order something that's in our scale, they may subcontract with us who are already doing the larger scale work because on when they're doing small scale work, it doesn't always scale up. I know from watching somebody use a single head to produce 600 pieces in a week, it's not fun for them. They'd rather hire somebody else to do it um, if they knew better. There's, there is a market there and we can help these people be good citizens in our market at the same time as understand these markets that we might not have understood for ourselves and yeah. say, okay, well, this is interesting. Not that I'm going to, you know, descend on somebody who, you know, subconscious with me and try and take their market, but look out there and say, what am I not getting? Um, how do I not get that? Maybe the person selling on Etsy has a real business just because they're out of their house or maybe they're, they just don't do as much scale as I'm used to. But if I had a number of these clients, what could I do to make their lives easier? And then build the scale I need to work the way I'm used to. And there's, there's a lot of opportunity there. And like I said, the newbies don't think you can't. And if you find a way that they can, or you, you do some, there's weird things that just make sense on a different scale. I've had times where the price made enough sense to someone where I'm ordering at the scale I have to order at for minimums, but they were willing to pay for a quarter of the number of pieces, the same price I'm expecting to pay for the larger number. And we would literally sometimes order the 300 because we've got a relationship built up with somebody, give them the 50, charge them the price they're happy with. And I now have 250 patches I can keep selling to them when they order again and again. Sometimes you, you eat that, sometimes you don't. But if you're making enough money to make the initial order work, then it's okay. Like it's, once you start, stop thinking that the order has to follow the same pathway it always has, then you find these new avenues for how it works. And I mean, some of them aren't as simple as just, you know, stashing some patches, but, but they, there is something to be learned there. Yeah. And just cause you, yeah, just cause you've always done it that way. doesn't mean you have to keep doing it. That That's way. it's the worst reason. The worst reason for anything. I hate to say that I, I, I am somebody who loves traditions and I love to know the history of things. But the worst reason ever to do something is because that's the way we've always done it. It really is. I know I put that in the answer, but it really, it really absolutely is the worst reason to do something. If you don't know why, you should stop and think why. <laughs> well, you're the people who are sitting there being like, I didn't really didn't think Amazon would take off. And it's like, okay. Oh, I, I, I remember that. I did e-commerce so early that I remember somebody saying, I just don't feel comfortable using my credit card on the web. That is an, that the first e-commerce argument I had to fight was that we're far from that right now, but I yeah. distinctly still have the memory in my head where people said, I don't know about putting my credit card into a website. I think you've dated yourself there, Eric. <laughs> I know. Well, I, that's what I was trying to tell people. I was a teenager when I did my first e-commerce site. I mean, I was a kid. I was building websites. You know, I was first starting to pre-college, be at the college, uh, working in their lab. And I had a website that I built on the, the servers from my college and my first e-commerce, I built myself like in table-based websites. 
and it had weird you know, plugins and junk, and I was taking orders manually. I've been doing e-commerce since I was a kid, despite how you know it was very, very early. And I remember distinctly when people didn't trust buying books from that Amazon site. Yeah. Um, nobody would have thought what we're at, where we're at now, but we, we forget is we're like, oh no, yeah, but that's Amazon. It proved out. I'm like, well, what's Amazon that's going to be there in 20 years? What's, what is life going to look like? I'm not saying we're going to get that, but being open to all these options is where we might, you know, we might find ourselves on the other end of that someday. Yeah. <laughs> well, Eric, I think we have to wrap it up before people think that, you know, <laughs> We just go on forever, even though we could go on forever. <laughs> we very much could. Uh, before this is a, a pain to edit and a feature-length movie. <laughs> oh, we don't have it here. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Someone's shouting, you should. <laughs> we'll just take this alive. It'll be great. <laughs> You'll just tune in every week for the hour. <laughs> hour plus we do. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, Eric, thank you so much for being part of this week's Deep Dive. And we can find you on the internet where? Where usually at ericcampbell.com, truthfully. I'm at social media, everyone under Eric Campbell. Once again, that weird spelling, E-R-I-C-H, will get you a long way with Google. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> like I said, you find me at Promo Chat also. Uh, so Promo Chat Wednesdays, I will always be there when I can. And uh, anytime you look in printware every month, I'm there in printware. And you folks who are out in the UK, Image Magazine, you'll see me in Images Magazine every month as well. So you're everywhere, basically. You're just Eric. I, I can't stop doing this even when I try. <laughs> volunteer problem. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> yeah. Well, everyone, thank you. Thank you for our sponsors, Maple Ridge. And Absolutely. then th everyone join us every week. Promo chat uh, Wednesday at 3 p.m. noon Pacific. Okay. Take care. Bye. Thank you for having me on. Did I stop?